Today's episode on Chasing Easy is based on the book that the title of this podcast is derived from, Chasing Easy in a Life of Hard Choices. Today I'm going to be reading from chapter five, which is called From Broken to Bride. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's 2 Timothy 4.3. In both my relationships with Mike and Matthew, I was attracted to the outward appearance and to be honest, the popularity of these men. I was familiar with the warning signs, but chose to ignore them in order to stay in the relationship. I remembered being told that my suspicions were caused by my insecurity, that I was simply paranoid and jealous. I imagined Matthew getting random phone calls from girls I didn't know saying hi with zeal on the other end. I was certain this was the reason behind our last minute plans that were changed or canceled. I wanted to believe that my self-doubt explained the paranoia. If only that were the case. My self-doubt was ushered in by the comments of others and I started to believe my internal dialogue, Satan's dialogue really, that I wasn't worthy of love. I graduated swiftly from a naive 15-year-old child to a 28-year-old woman who couldn't seem to shake the yearning for significance, which I chose to rest on men. I wanted to be loved so badly that I settled for bad love. After Mike and Matthew, I was reluctant to have a steady relationship. I opted for simple friendships to keep the prospect of romance off the table and hung out with a variety of male and female friends. I was living on my own and making excellent money. I may have been bad at relationships, but I was really good at work. Both of these extremes, bad relationships and good work ethics were byproducts of the emotional pain caused by abortion that I would learn over 30 years later. I excelled and was often given promotions and bonuses based on my performance. I realize now that recognition and attention at work helped me minimize the emptiness I felt from rejection. I was able to overlook my relationship failures <clears throat> by succeeding in my professional life. Succeeding at work helped dull the pain for a time, but focusing on what I was good at, I also prevented myself from confronting the emotional pain and turmoil in order to heal. With popularity and money to spare, I was going out every weekend and living the high life. I didn't have an answer to anyone. I did not have to answer to anyone. I had it all together. But all this was just another coping mechanism to avoid facing the pain. By going out on weekends, I welcomed the distraction of noise to drown out the voices of unworthiness in my head. It was in this season that my best girlfriend took me to a party to get me out of the house. This is where I met Luke. Luke was another charmer. He looked like the Marlboro Man and was in shape. At first, I didn't notice him. I was too busy with my exclusive pity party to notice anyone, but he noticed me. He wooed me by describing that I was wearing what I was wearing to the DJ, and my girlfriend had to tell me that the DJ was describing me. This was Luke's effort to get me on the dance floor. He didn't know me or my name, so he got creative and asked the DJ for help. I'd been sulking and wasn't seeking attention, so I was flattered he noticed me. I decided to dance with him. It was only a dance, for goodness sake. I don't have to wallow in self-pity if someone has taken notice. I soon discovered his wittiness and sense of humor were very attractive to me and provided an escape from the pity party. That innocent dance sparked my interest in dating again. It had been six months since my breakup with Matthew, so that was plenty of time to get over him. 
What I didn't realize was that unless I dealt with my insecurities, they would follow me into every relationship I consider. Unless I dove deep to change who I was attracted to, the cycle of bad choices would continue. We started dating. Things quickly got serious. He wanted to move back to his hometown in Arizona where all of his family and connections were. I thought that'd be exciting. Before the move, we had a going away party and that is where he proposed. We lived together for six months before relocating to Tucson, his hometown, and everything was beautiful. I thought I knew him. Luke was the perfect gentleman while we were in Maryland. Once settled in Tucson, things took a turn for the worse. I was a jealous, insecure woman when Luke came into my life, and now it escalated because I was away from my support system. At home, I had the safety net of friends that always agreed with me and never challenged my point of view. Mom tried to talk sense into me. What's the rush? Take your time. But I naturally didn't listen because she had no idea what she was talking about, right? I was wrong again. Luke started going out without me and one time even took the car keys in my purse so I couldn't follow him or go out myself. Can you say control? While I was stranded in Tucson, he became emotionally abusive and belittling. I had little to no support system and was too embarrassed to tell anyone in Maryland what was going on. I was questioning my worth once again. I started to believe I deserved whatever was happening to me and that I had no control over it. But these were lies. I also started to believe Luke's words that I needed him because I was useless. He insinuated that because I didn't have a college degree, I was stupid, that nobody else would treat me as good as he did. My prior relationships laid the groundwork for welcoming in, not openly, but secretly, more lies that I would claim as truth. The messages were, you're not good enough. I'm as good as you will ever have. I love you. That's why I do these things I do. You deserve whatever happens to you, etc. The root of unworthiness was growing deeper with each thought. Once again, I managed to, to attach myself to the feeling of significance based on someone else's opinion of me. This was dangerous territory. When your identity is wrapped up in what you do, what others say about you, your possessions, or your status, it will eventually fail you. In my late 30s, I would learn that my identity theft was something I allowed to manifest. I gave those other identities permission to steal my true identity. Unless you are tethered to Christ, you have a mistaken identity. I didn't know that. I needed to be told that my significance, acceptance, and adoption into a royal family is not based on what I did or didn't do. It is simply based on whose I am. I am the daughter of a king. That is where my identity comes from. Why did it take so long to learn this? To say there were warning signs with Luke would be an understatement. Once again, I chose to ignore them to spare myself embarrassment. I was committed to marrying him for many reasons. His mom offered me her engagement ring. I followed him to his hometown. We had more good days than bad, and I was pregnant. I did what any rational and broken woman in this situation would do. I married him. Mom made all the arrangements and paid for the wedding. We flew back to Maryland for the festivities. It was a beautiful wedding. The guests had no idea of the masquerade behind the scenes. I'm not sure I understood the magnitude of what was, was brewing under that happy and hearty exterior myself. I was five months pregnant as I walked down the aisle. Two years after my daughter Tara was born, I had great suspicions my husband was cheating on me. Determined not to drag this out, I did with as I did with my past relationships, I filed for divorce. 
Since I had nowhere to go in the meantime, we decided to continue sharing the marital home and write out the 30 days it took to get divorced in Arizona. Tara and I had one side of the house and he had the other. When the 30 days passed, I flew my dad out to help with the drive back home. With the two-year-old in tow, we loaded a U-Haul and drove cross country. Once we were in Maryland, I asked dad to stop so I could get out of the truck and kiss the ground. I paid homage to this momentous event by getting a personalized license plate for my car with the letters BMORE, B-M-O-R-E, which I've had for over 25 years. But the divorce began another downward spiral. Plagued once again with self-doubt, unworthiness, why me, and the biggest question swirling around in my head, what is it about me that makes men seek out other women? And when do you know that you're enough? It was like a replay of my prior relationship failures, only this time there was a child in the picture and more at stake. I had to keep it together for my daughter's sake. I started reconnecting with old friends that I lost touch with while in Arizona. I was starting over, but my new, new life would carry old mindsets, a recipe for disaster. The family noise or familiar noise of my internal dialogue, plagued with self-doubt and unworthiness, confirmed that my insecurities would be my companion for a long time. Deep inside, I was hurting. I was afraid I would always be alone and unsure if anyone would want, anyone would want me. I was putting all my energy into work once again. Work became my survival mechanism. I used marriage as a temporary fix to a problem I had not identified and didn't want to dive deep to figure out. Looking back now, I wanted to be wanted so badly and to know I had someone in my life that I ignored the signs that were so prevalent. I was ignorant, arrogant, and full of pride. I had an impenetrable heart. Because I didn't know the Lord, I settled for any marriage instead of waiting for the right one. I kept the persona that all was wonderful and life was better than I'd ever known it to be. I had taken my past hurts and perceptions of myself and of marriage in general into my marriage with Luke and didn't realize what harm that would do. I had no idea why I continued to do what I didn't want to do. It was like what Paul described in Romans 7, 18 through 19. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I also didn't know that my behavior and how I saw the world were linked to my past abortion. If you ignore it, it'll go away, right? Once again, I was wrong. This chapter might really resonate with some of you in the audience. If you're in a relationship that's not enriching you, it's time to take a look at that relationship. If you're second guessing yourself all the time, if you're looking over your shoulder, if you've started to take what other people have said about you, which has not been kind as a truth that you own, please reconsider your position on that. I invite you to healing. And I invite you to reach out to me at chasingeasy at gmail.com for any questions that you may have, any counsel you may need. If I can help you in any way, I'd love to be able to do that. And the next chapter in my book is chapter six, and it's called The Masquerade Charade. This is something that I think many of us do on a daily basis. We wear a mask. So I invite you to take that off, discover who your true self is.